This is Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager, Canada's national source for the latest agronomic research, crop production, and technology trends. You've tuned in to hear conversations about relevant research, best production practices, and everything in between. Hi, this is Julie Jessen, CEO of Gowan Company. We're a family-owned company operating all over the world, including Canada. On behalf of Gowan Canada and the Jessen family, we wish you a very safe and happy holiday season. Welcome, everyone. My name is Dylan Shirley, and I will be your host for this week's episode. Today, I'm joined by Jeremy Boychin. He is the Agronomy Research Extension Manager for Alberta Wheat and Barley Commissions. Jeremy, welcome to Inputs. It's nice to be here, Dylan. Thanks for having me. And we are very happy to have you here because we're going to talk about plot to farm, which is something that's been happening over the last couple of years. I don't want to spoil the fantastic research that you've been able to do with a bunch of different producers in Alberta. But first, let's just start out with what is plot to farm? Yeah, so plot to farm, uh, I mean, at the basics is an on-farm research program. Um, And when I say on-farm research, uh, you know, that may spark different ideas, um, but really we're looking to ask agronomic questions like seeding rates, like fungicide use, like PGR use and variety selection. We're looking to test them in a scientific way uh, on farm using on farm practices and on farm machinery um, at farm scale. So we are doing these trials you know, over an entire quarter section or across an entire quarter section. Obviously, there's logistical considerations that go into that. Um, but that's the basics of what this is. And, and there's a few things we're looking to, to get out of plot to farm. Um, one, we're looking to have discussions about best management practices. What seeding rate should we be going at? And what, what varieties respond best to PGRs? And, and really how to implement an on-farm research trial because you know, when, sometimes when we're looking at a new practice or we're looking at a new product and um, there's the question of, okay, how do I make sure that there's value there? Or how do I assess what it's going to be like to implement that product? Um, you know, we'll, we'll split a field in half or we'll compare two different fields. And then um, I think there's risk in assuming that the results from that kind of trial with a split field or comparing two fields is, is um, strong information that can be taken and used to to have future action on. So we replicate and randomize the trials comparing different treatments across these large scale trials. So the results that we get back are actionable and uh, have a strong foundation of of data um, that we can can be confident in the results in those specific situations. Um, So that's plot to farm uh, and and it's been fun. it's been a learning process, um, you know, for myself, for the commissions, but also for the producers involved. Yes. Speaking about the producers involved, are you, are you reaching out to different growers in the region and getting them involved and kind of allowing them to run these uh, different projects or where are you actually doing all this like large scale uh, trials? I, I guess. Yeah, it's a great question. And, and, you know, we've designed this program to be as producer driven as possible. So um, we put out the ask to the farming community to say, hey, if you're interested in conducting your own on farm research, we provide a framework for you to work with. 
We provide the funding to have a, a support agronomist to help you execute it, execute it properly. Um, and we'll analyze that data and provide you with the results that you can run with. Um, and we put that out there and then whoever is interested in applying across Alberta, be it the piece or down the way, all the way down in Milk River, um, you, have the, you have the potential to apply um, and you can uh, select from the protocols we've previously developed. Um, and you're saying, you know, Jeremy, I'm very interested in increasing nitrogen rates on my barley. And it's like, here's the protocol that's already in place. Let's align it with your field and your equipment and make it work for you. Um, and, and it really just runs that way where we get a producer who's interested and these are the producers we want to work with. We want to work with producers who are always already want to ask this question, ask these questions. Um, and we provide the framework for those questions to be asked successfully. Um, so yes, if you're a producer in Alberta, you have the potential to be part of this program. You put in an application, we work with you to design that program. So wherever we're getting applications from in Alberta, um, that's where these trials end up falling. Uh, and it's the same with which trials are selected. Um, if we get every single producer asking to do PGR trials on their wheat or their barley, um, you know, we may have a year where we're getting a lot of PGR trials. So we really designed it to be producer driven so that we're asking questions that are topical for the year, topical for the producers and applicable to their farm. Right. So that's pretty interesting that you're able to kind of tailor these uh, protocols and these questions and allow the producer to actually run them based on their own farm. Uh, but stepping back a little bit, how do you, uh, I guess, kind of create these protocols or these research project questions that the producers are uh, able to kind of select from? Yeah, so we are lucky in Western Canada and Alberta that we have a great framework of small pot research that is funded uh, through levy dollars and other areas um, that provide us with great information about um, how some management practices may impact farm yields and profitability. Um, so we really, we took those results um, and we took those treatments and those protocols within there and, and developed them into on-farm research protocols. So we, you know, in some cases, maybe simplified them and, and uh, made them more applicable and easier to adopt on a farm scale. But it's really meant to take that information and help the producer ask how, how it may impact them and how it may be applied on their farm, what the logistics of that are going to look like. Um, and... Uh, you know, that's, that's kind of how we've, we've developed a, a few of those protocols um, where we're taking it straight from that small plot research and, and essentially using it as a, as a framework for extension um, for producers to ask those questions and understand what some of these um, best management practices or management questions mean to them on their farm, which is, is important. You know, farmers are, are dealing with, um, they're dealing with decisions that either increase or decrease the profitability on their farm and having a confident path forward helps make those decisions easier um, and helps narrow down the decisions that need to be made. Right. I think, uh, I think all of our producers probably need just a few less decisions that uh, could impact their entire livelihood. And I'm glad to hear that uh, this plot to farm initiative really gives them another tool in their belt, another best management practices, uh, kind of wayward decisions that they can, you know, drive through and actually uh, perhaps uh, have a very good year for themselves. 
Yeah. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll jump off of that and, and say, you know, the, the, what ends up happening with these producers that we worked with so far is, you know, we, we share the framework of how these trials are implemented and, and um, they see how replication and randomization works and, and how we're comparing some of these treatments, right? And then that framework is there, it's understood. And if you want to take that question and apply it to canola or peas or any other crop you're growing or any other protocol or any other treatment or, or management practice you're trying to ask a question on, the framework of how to ask that appropriately, um, that producer's gone through that process. So they can apply it into different crops, they can apply it into different questions um, and continue to grow their, their knowledge of their farm management practices from there, even outside of plot to farm. So um, it's really building that framework of knowledge as well. Awesome. So uh, jumping out of uh, what is plot to farm and what actually happened this past year. So in, in this past growing season, I believe you guys ran uh, 12 different trials. Uh, and I was just kind of wondering if you could go through some of those trials and just kind of go uh, maybe touch a little bit on some of the preliminary results that you were able to see from the, from the different trials. Yeah. So this is our, our third year conducting trials still. And, and, you know, the first year we started small, um, we only did two trials. We wanted to make sure the framework of this program was going to work is, is what we're putting forward um, realistic in asking producers to implement. Um, we saw success the second year we grew to about seven trials. Uh, and then now we're in our third year and, and we initiated 12. Only 10, 10 of those trials ended up um, reaching harvest and, and collecting data. Um, as you and I both know, there's this logistical challenges that come with, with the environmental challenges, right? One of our trials we lost to uh, that massive hailstorm that went through Innisfail. Um, and then the other one um, was a PGR uh, trial, which applying PGR at a, at a specific time um, of growth stage 30 to 32 really helps provide the best kind of results at the ideal timing. Um, and the producer we were working with had a lot of rain in June, um, which early June is, is typically the time you wanna be applying or looking for that ideal timing for PGR. Um, so we weren't able to hit that timing because herbicide got delayed, which means PGR timing got delayed. So it wasn't realistic to, to still conduct that trial um, because we didn't expect the responses to be realistic to how producers would be wanting to use the product. Um, so we lost those two trials, but, you know, we did have uh, two trials that were, were investigated seeding rates in barley. Uh, we did a plant growth regulator trial in wheat. Um, so that would be a manipulator we applied on wheat. Um, we also did an increasing nitrogen rates trial on barley. Uh, and then we did four different nitrogen fixing bacteria um, product trials um, across Alberta. Um, and you know, when we initiated this program, our intention wasn't to um, trial products for companies. We didn't want to be um, a program that, 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 that that's what we were doing. You know, the companies could come to us and say, you know, trial this program. But, you know, producers dealt with a lot in 2021 leading into 2022. The spike of nitrogen costs, um, a lot of the, the discussions happening at a policy level of, of nitrogen emissions and nitrogen reduction. Um, and a lot of these products were coming to market and producers had questions on them. So, and, and, you know, that, that chorus of, of um, discussion happening 
uh, we decided that it was valuable to producers to get a, maybe a, a pulse on what to expect with these products. Um, so we did implement four of those. Uh, we did a row spacing trial comparing 15 to seven and a half inch rows. Uh, and that was the second year we did that trial. Um, and then we did a split in crop nitrogen application. Um, and I think, you know, this is a continued question that producers ask of, you know, can I split nitrogen? Am I going to get more yield? Um, and again, that ties into the, the emissions reduction conversation. Um, can I reduce the amount of nitrogen that I'm using if I'm doing a split, a split uh, application? Um, so, you know, interesting results coming from these trials. The seeding rate trials, uh, there was two of them. They were both on barley. One was in the Pinoca um, was in Pinoca County and the other one was in Mountain View. Um, those trials ended up um, coming out flat. So we did 22 plants per square foot, 27 and a half and, and 33 plants per square foot as a target. Um, you know, as with these trials, it, it, we go in uh, 21 days after, 21 to 30 days after and we assess the plant stand to see whether we hit those targets because we want to make sure the yield that comes from them after is actually we're relating it to an actual plant stand. Um, you know, sometimes sometimes we didn't always see significant difference between the actual plant stands and what the target was. Um, but in general, what we saw was that we didn't get that increased yield bump from those higher seeding rates that, that we expected. And, um, you know, this is the question we we're going to be taking back and, and asking some of the researchers, because we know in small plot research, we have decades and generations of, of uh, seeding rate trials showing the value and increase of increased seeding rates and and um, you know there's all those intrinsic values that come from high seeding rates like weed competition and maturity evenness and and earlier maturity um, and better resource management so um, you know it was interesting seeing those results but I think there's more questions that need to be asked um, the plant growth regulator trial so that happened up in Willingdon uh, so northeast of Edmonton, um, and that was on AAC Wheatland. And I'm, I'm mentioning the specific variety here because PGRs and variety uh, response is very important. Not every variety, whether it be wheat or barley, responds to a PGR the same. Uh, and that includes modus and manipulator. Um, so it's important to know which varieties are responding. So we applied PGR at growth stage 30, 32 and compared that to a check treatment of no, no PGR. Um, and the response we got from that in terms of yield was that um, the increase, although it was close to five bushels when we applied the PGR, wasn't significant at a 95% confidence level. So that is P005, um, which is the typical confidence level you'll see in research. Um, but a five bushel increase at, at a 94 confidence level, which is where we were at, um, I think is, is a good indicator to producers that there's a potential for yield bump um, that comes from a PGR application of manipulator on AC wheatland in lodging prone conditions. Um, so what's interesting about that trial as well is we took drone imagery of the field, the trial area um, at the end of the season to see what kind of visual differences we can see with lodging. And, and we worked with the, the great people at, at um, Old College, um, their, their technical staff there uh, took a look at the imagery um, and actually ran it through what I call machine learning, but they always kind of correct me and say, well, it kind of is, but it kind of isn't. Um, they, 
they take samples of the pixels um, where there is lodging and where there isn't lodging based on human eye. Um, and then they run it through an algorithm and that algorithm assesses the entire imagery to give us a percentage of lodged, minor lodging and major lodging. And then we can do a percent of lodging across that entire trial area in the different treatment area, and then give an idea of, you know, are we seeing significant differences in lodging? From that data, we saw that there was quite a significant decrease of lodging when we applied manipulator, um, both in major lodging and minor lodging. And you can differentiate major and minor lodging. Uh, and this is gonna be a little bit of a grayish description because it's still being sorted out. Um, is you know major lodging is likely better more than a 45 degree angle um, lodging so you can see that stem you can see that that crop is lodged, lodged sideways where minor lodging is likely less than that you maybe wouldn't be able to see the stem or only slightly see it um, so we saw significant decreases in both major and minor lodging and total lodging and a greater percentage of standing crop when we applied a pgr so you know, we're seeing a response to wheatland with the PGR. We're seeing, although not significant at the 95% um, uh, confidence level, we're seeing an increase in yield. Um, and if you talk to the producer, there's an, an increase in, in harvestability of a crop um, that's standing better, which I think is no surprise to anyone. Um, so, you know, this brings in lots of questions of, you know, is there opportunity for us to investigate further of, of variable rate PGRs and, and layer that on variable rate nitrogen um, and using drone imagery to get a better idea of how I should be managing my lodging um, by layering this data um, and, and these variable rate um, technologies to be more precise with how we're managing lodging, which I think is an important question um, that'll continue to move forward. So very interesting trial there. For the next 30 seconds, relax and let your mind drift into calm thoughts. Don't think about farm management and how your books are a mess. Oh, you're totally thinking about numbers now, aren't you? Okay, then. Think about FCC's Ag Expert platform and how Ag Expert simplifies record keeping to give you peace of mind, no matter where you are. Unlock the power of stress-free farming at agexpert.ca. You know, the next trial was uh, increasing nitrogen rates in barley. So this producer was in Sylvan Lake, um, you know, high organic matter, high rainfall conditions, 7% uh, organic matter. Um, and just to give you an idea, target yield was, was 120 bushels. Um, new barley variety, searish, the producer really wanted to get an idea of if I push my nitrogen levels, am I going to see that response? How far can I push this variety? So um, typically this, this producer um, would do variable rate, um, we shut off variable rate as we do with all of our trials because we don't want that um, interacting with, with our treatments. Um, and the average nitrogen rate that was recommended for that 120 bushels was 65 pounds of nitrogen per acre on top of the 30 pounds of nitrogen already found in the soil from the soil test and the expected release from the 7% organic matter. We then added 20 pounds to that for one of our treatments, so 85 pounds of nitrogen. And then for our, our third treatment, we did another 20 pounds on top of that. So 40 pounds above the recommended rate. Um, and we replicated and randomized. Uh, and what was interesting is the results demonstrated a decreased yield at the higher nitrogen rate. So at 105 pounds 
of nitrogen per acre, the yield was lower than the 65 pounds of nitrogen per acre. The difference between the lowest rate and the middle rate, there was no difference. And the difference between the highest rate and the middle rate, there was no difference, but the difference between the highest and the lowest nitrogen rate, there was a significant difference. So what is this saying? Uh, well, if you walked in the field at the end of July and saw the amount of lodging that was occurring at these high nitrogen rates, um, you know, there's, there's inclination to assume that we're losing yield to higher lodging conditions. Um, you're going, of course, Jeremy, increase your nitrogen rates, you're going to get lodging. And, and I think it's important, you know, how far can you push this variety? Um, you know, are we going to see lodging at these, these rates? You know, Cirrus is, is a newer variety that, um, you know, is supposed to stand up to lodging re reasonably well. But I think what this really means for producers and, and what is important is, you know, as much as we want to push some of these nitrogen rates and push some of these yields uh, and what you could call it advanced agronomic management is, um, it's important to understand that these things don't work in a silo, right? Now, we understand that there is going to be a limit push for Cirrus. Um, the next question in my mind as an agronomist is, will Cirrus respond to the PGR modus? Can we reduce some of that yield loss if we apply a PGR on those high nitrogen rates? Um, but we needed to push that variety uh, to get an idea of where that yield loss may start to occur. Um, so now we can ask the question of, you know, is there a response to a PGR? Can we combine these together um, and increase profitability, even though we're increasing the cost that it takes to get to that point? But but we're, you know, we're getting a higher return on investment of those inputs. Um, the nitrogen uh, fixing bacteria was interesting. You know, we had that in four different locations and they were quite broad. Um, there was one in Stony Plain by Edmonton uh, and that was in the variety 5700, so CPS. Um, and then we had one in um, the Carstairs area uh, and that was with um, a bound. Um, and then we had another trial in the Claire's home area, and that was with Brandon. Uh, so dry lands, um, lower, lower uh, rainfall conditions. And then we had one in Barron's under irrigation with Durham, uh, and that would have been Stronghold. Um, so we, uh, we applied uh, both Envita um, and Utricia N at herbicide timing. Um, and we applied, applied them in a separate tank because this is a biological. We want to make sure that we're not getting that tank too hot and burning um, the biological that's in there. We want to make sure that when we're applying it, we know that it's alive when we're applying it. Um, so a separate tank, separate path, um, and we randomized and replicated. The, the, the Carstairs trial did not include um, uh, Envita, only Utricia N. Um, but the, the interesting part about this is, you know, we, we, we did it in so many different regions, so many different, th uh, three different classes of wheat um, and two different wheat types, Durham and, and spring wheat. And, you know, we didn't see any difference uh, with yield or protein um, or quality in any way. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because you we do these things hoping to see a result and hoping to see value, but for some reason in these conditions, um, in these fields with these farmers, there was there was no benefit in response. You know, I've seen other trials from from independent uh, agronomists where they were seeing uh, visual differences and a little bit of yield difference, but for some reason in these four conditions we didn't see a response. So 
Um, I think, again, this shows producers that, you know, when looking at new products, it's important to trial them realistically, get an idea of what that response is going to be. Um, we didn't decrease, and this is the question I always get, did you decrease nitrogen rates um, to see whether, you know, you're not short on nitrogen. Um, we didn't decrease nitrogen rates. We did it at the typical nitrogen rate to see whether we would get a bump, which in some of these areas, you know, we were quite dry in, in the latter part of the season. So maybe less access to um, mobile nitrogen. So hoping that that um, biological would be producing nitrogen in the plant and providing that back, but um, not what we saw. Um, but uh, you know, I think I think there's opportunity for these products. It's just determining where they'll provide value or how we can apply them to make sure that that they get a um, there's a value back to the producer. So. Um, that's what we saw there. The row spacing trial is an interesting one. Um, you know, we're seeing more producers, not more producers, we're seeing some producers um, look to go to wider row spacing. So uh, there's a, a newer, newish cedar, the Seedmaster Ultra SR 60 foot um, cedar that runs on 15 inch rows. And, um, you know, there's various reasons why producers are going in this direction, but the general trend uh, and conversation I'm getting from um, the producers I've been working with is, is residue management. Um, it moves through high residue seeding conditions better because you've got wider row spacings, uh, but you're also dealing with less draft, so less fuel costs, less horsepower, maybe a smaller um, piece of equipment to pull that seeder. Um, so there's a few variables that go into that decision. Um, so we work with these producers to compare these wide row spacings versus the narrower spacings. Um, and the narrow row spacings are seven and a half inches because half of 15 inches is seven and a half. So we seed the 15 inch rows and then we loop around and come back and, and use RTK to seed in between. Uh, and then on the 15 inch rows, we do a non-working pass with the piece of equipment to mimic the compaction that we got on the seven and a half inch rows, just keeping consistency between treatments outside of the treatment specific uh, is important. Um, and what we saw the results in this is similar to what we saw last year. So this year, the trial was in Blackie, Alberta. Last year, it was in um, Innisfail. Uh, and it's a slight decrease in yield, um, 3 and 4% between uh, this year and last year, respectively. Um, there was a bit of a protein increase this year. Uh, and this year, we the, the variety was CDC Go. Um, and there was a half percent increase in protein. We didn't see that last year. Um, so there might be some type of play here with with uh, protein, or it could be the fact that we're reducing yield a little bit, and that's going into protein. Um, but there may be a protein play there. We're just not sure exactly what's going on. Uh, and then the split nitrogen application trial, um, you know, there we're just looking to split nitrogen, um, comparing all nitrogen going down at seeding to splitting it between seeding, um, uh, tillering, and then booting. Um, and uh, you know, the results from this trial, which happened in Three Hills, Alberta, um, we didn't see any increase in yield. We saw a half percent increase in protein under the split nitrogen application. Um, and I should say that the, the nitrogen goes down in crop as 28% um, split half and half with water uh, through streamer bars. This is the best way to apply nitrogen if you're putting it through a um, herbicide nozzle, you're getting way too much foliar application of that nitrogen, which puts you at risk of burn and volatilization and all of those things. Um, but 
you know, this again, back to the producer is, is um, you know, there's a potential there that we're not gonna get that yield bump from a split nitrogen application. And this aligns with some of the small plot research we've seen in this. And when we do see a yield bump, it's, some, it's not always, it doesn't always make up for the cost of having to do that split nitrogen application because there's a lot of logistics in it. Um, so the producer that I worked with to do this, you know, kind of the feedback was is it, it, it solidifies the idea that split nitrogen is really a management tactic in terms of risk management. If nitrogen prices are through the roof and I don't want to buy all of it now and I want to wait till in season, you know, I can reduce my cost there. You know, obviously there's a risk of, of playing the markets and hoping that the nitrogen price is actually going to go down. Um, but the other idea is if things are bone dry and you put down 60% of your, your normal nitrogen and then through June, you get a bunch more moisture and you're expecting your yields to be above what you applied nitrogen for. You know that if you go through and apply foliar, or you apply nitrogen through streamer bars in crop, um, you're going to potentially get to that same yield expectation that you would had you applied everything at seeding. So again, playing that risk mitigation of the environment, am I gonna get to that point um, where I need all of this nitrogen? Um, so yeah, that's, those are the, the trials that we ran through this year. I think I, I tried to cover as many details as possible. You know, we post all of this and we're very close to getting all these yield results on our website online, which is plottofarm.com. You can go through and see the full results and the agronomic details of each of these trials, where they were, the varieties, the results, the management used on that field. Um, so I wasn't able to cover everything, but I think I yammered on most of them, Dylan. <laughs> I think, Jeremy, that we probably could sit here for two hours and just go through every single trial and learn about uh, literally all, all the questions that you're able to answer, the ones that you weren't. But uh, that, would, that would be a, a, a kind of longer podcast, I think. But what I do want to ask, though, is based on all these interesting results that, yes, eventually people can go learn about them onto your website, uh, what which ones are going on to next year that you're going to continue? Um, and are you looking to expand on any of them really quickly? Yeah. So the, um, again, we're trying to be as, as producer driven in this as possible. So the applications that we get from producers, um, you know, we're going to, we're going to entertain whatever the producers are interested in trialing within reason, right? Like we want to make sure that the, the trials that are being put in are of value to as many producers as possible. Um, so, you know, if they're niche requests that are way off and don't apply to a lot, typically it's, it's not going to be, it's not going to be something we're able to support. Um, but there's a few of these trials I, I, I personally would like to see continue. Um, you know, the increasing nitrogen rates in barley is very interesting. Um, the split nitrogen application in more locations, I think would be interesting, but you know, the, the, the PGR application and taking drone imagery and seeing where the responses are and using that algorithm to assess lodging um, and whether there's opportunity to increase and fine tune our um, variable rate inputs and layer those. I think that's an exciting uh, trial that I would like to see continue. Um, so yeah, if, if, if any producers in Alberta are interested in any of these trials or any other trials, um, you know, they can go to the plot to farm.com website. There's an application process there. 
They can also reach out to me. Uh, you know, I'm on Twitter. You can find me on the Alberta Wheat or Alberta uh, Barley website. Um, I'm pretty sure my phone number is pretty much everywhere at this point. So you can give me a call and have a conversation. Um, you know, I'm, I'm always interested to hear what producers are interested in trialing and I'll always, um, you know, entertain the conversation. Um, so they can reach out to me or they can put in an application. Um, they can send me an email. I'm, I'm jboychin at albertawheatbarley.com. Um, and uh, yeah, our applications are open essentially now um, until the end of February. So there's some time for you to hunt me down and have a conversation about it. Well, fantastic. I'm sure we'll have lots of podcast notes to add to this, just with all the different uh, information regarding plot to farm and also how individuals can contact you if they want uh, a little bit more information and uh, hear your insights on what happened over this last year. But uh, Jeremy, I just want to thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all this fantastic preliminary information based on the trials that you're able to run this year. It's always a pleasure to chat, Dylan, and I look forward to our next one. Right. Well, again, thank you for joining us on Inputs and uh, have a great rest of your day. Thanks for tuning in to Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager. To catch up on all of our other episodes, visit topcropmanager.com slash podcasts.